This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This podcast is also available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Deezer, the iHeartRadio website and app and at WARFradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, we'll be chatting with Fremantle AFLW coach Trent Cooper, the new coach of the Northern Lights, that's the Canadian national team, Trisha Rolfe, and we'll also check in with Amy Chittick, NTFL women's superstar footballer, formerly of Waratah, now playing for the Pinter Queen Ants. But first, the latest women's footy news. Unfortunately, it's injury news aplenty this week in the AFLW. First to the Fremantle Dockers and Irish recruit Anya Tai, who was meant to play for them in the rack, missed the 2020 season with an ACL injury. Unfortunately, she's had a significant medial meniscal tear in her left knee and is looking incredibly unlikely to be playing in the 2021 AFL women's season. Over at the Gold Coast Suns, promising midfielder Jackie Yorston has ruptured her ACL and will sit out of the season. Over at the Kangaroos, Alicia King, who missed part of the 2020 season with a knee injury, will miss all of 2021 due to suffering a hamstring injury at training. And while we're on the Kangaroos, it's been announced that former Pasco Vale, Seaford and Carlton VFLW footballer Caitlin Cox has been upgraded to their primary list. In other news, at the Adelaide Football Club, Erin Phillips has announced that she is stepping down from her role as co-captain. For the last four years, she was co-captain alongside Chelsea Randall, which resulted in two premierships, the first in 2017 under Bette Goddard as coach, and then in 2019 under Matthew Clark as coach. And over to New Zealand, and it's been confirmed that the New Zealand AFL Women's Premiership will kick off on February 14th as a three-game series. And that is your latest women's footy news. To our first guest for this week on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. He took over the reins of the Dockers in 2018. In his first season in 2019, you take him from the bottom end of the table to the semi-finals, where unfortunately injuries would finally catch up with them and they would go down in an upset to Carlton. Doesn't matter. 2020, he's got them firing on all cylinders. After six home and away games, they're undefeated. Then, due to COVID, the season is shortened. Week one of the finals. They smash the Gold Coast Suns by 70 points. And then finally, COVID-19 does put a full stop to everything. They come away empty-handed, a season cancelled. Is it third time lucky for this man? Trent Cooper, the head coach of the Fremantle Dockers and the AFLW. Let's find out. We've got Trent on the line now. Trent, how are you? Uh, Very well, thanks, Peter. Lovely weather over here and looking forward to our season getting underway. Can you believe it? We're just two weeks out now from round one. Yeah, it is amazing that it's just come around. It was sort of seemed so far away for so long, but now that it's here, uh, yeah, a lot of excitement levels are definitely building. Let's rewind back a bit before we talk about present day. We're going to go back 10 months to that Sunday afternoon. The AFL, the men's match was being played between Hawthorne and Brisbane. It was half-time. Gillan McLaughlin comes out, has an emergency press conference. The men's season is stopping at round one, and it's announced right there and then 
the AFLW is done for 2020. Um, well, what's the feeling like at that time? Because literally 24 hours ago, you came off a massive performance against the Gold Coast, a 70-point win. Yeah, to say you go from uh, chocolate to board lollies very quickly, that was the, uh, that was the moment. Uh, I remember sitting at home uh, on the couch and yeah, very concerned with the events that were going on across the world. I knew it was a possibility. Uh, yeah, but then to hear Gil's words... Uh, it, was, yeah, it was pretty shattering uh, for me, but also more so for the girls as well. So then trying to make sure how they were handling their emotions at the time. Uh, also, not being able to be together as well, sort of told that we had to stay apart as well at that time. So it was a, a, a really difficult period, um, but it was for a lot of people in a lot of different industries, and I think we've all come through uh, stronger for it. As a group, how do you try and put that finish to a season behind you. I use the example of the year before you'd been knocked out in the semi-final by Carlton. At that stage, injuries had start to hit and at least when there's a loss, there's a natural conclusion, a bit of grieving that the season's over. You can look back at a few things going, right, if we do this, if we do that, if we work on this, we can go one more next year. How, how do you try and, I guess, come to a re- resolution that a season's ended when things are going well and you actually haven't lost on the park? Yeah, it, it, it's a real – every footy season, you either walk away as a Premier or as, okay, yeah, we've got something, some really strong feedback on what we need to work on. Um, and this year, that didn't happen for four teams that are still alive at that stage. So it was really disappointing to lose that opportunity to press uh, for a flag. And that's all we did lose. We didn't lose a flag or anything like that, but we just lost that opportunity. So that was really disappointing. Um to be honest, we put it behind ourselves pretty quickly um, and yeah, just sort of use it as motivation to get going next year. Uh, so I know a lot of our supporters were really upset and disappointed with the way it finished and, and still are to this day, but, but we've sort of put that behind us and totally focused now on reproving um, ourselves, if you like, because at the end of the day, all teams are on zero points and last year doesn't count for anything. One last question on that season before we move ahead. Um, your two biggest wins of the year were uh, the 70-point win over the Gold Coast in that uh, first week of finals and the 45-point victory over Crosstown rivals, the West Coast Eagles. Which was the more satisfying, that finals win or putting your Crosstown rivals in their place? Uh, it was definitely the finals win. Um, it was We were sort of building to play our best football in that back half of the year. The previous year, we probably run out of steam. We were sort of focused on um, getting a bit of respect, I suppose, because Fremantle didn't really have that in the AFLW circles those first two years. So we started really well and we were probably petering out. So that was in 2019. 2020, we really focused on being at our best in the back half of the year. And we had a bit of a flat period during the middle of the year where we sort of didn't play well but managed to great victories over Collingwood and St Kilda but we hit that final flying and Gold Coast had all sorts of excuses. Like they'd, they'd travelled to Perth two weeks in a row and they were right for the taking but I think our football that day was exactly what the way we wanted to play and that was definitely the most satisfying. 
One thing over this winter, an advantage for the states outside of Victoria, uh, was the state leagues were able to get up and running. Over in WA with the WAFL women's competition, they ran a shortened season, about half the normal length, but they managed to get away. Pure Thunder ended up winning the premiership there. Victoria, where more than half of the AFLW competition comes from, uh, there was no state league football, no grassroots football due to the second lockdown there. Um, How much of an advantage was it for you, uh, particularly in terms of drafting, to be able to have some semblance of local football still happen in WA during that 2020 period? Oh, I think it had to be an advantage. A lot of our girls didn't play in the Waffle W, so we probably had about uh, 10 of our, 10 or 12 of our listed players uh, play in the Waffle W season for various reasons. Quite a few had injuries that they needed to get over or a few more of our experienced players um, it just choose to rest and get their bodies right for the AFLW season. But it was good for quite a few of our younger players, our inexperienced players, to go back and, and play some footy. And then for the draftees, it probably didn't make a difference, a great difference in who we did draft because we knew the talent that was coming through. But it gives them a, you know, some, some opportunity to play against uh, season campaigners. So the likes of Sarah Veria, who we took with our, our first pick. Um, yeah, she, she's played in the Waffle W Grand Final and um, she's seen the standard, so she'll be ready to go uh, in round one for us uh, when we expect her to be to be picked and play uh, in an AFLW game straight up. If we actually take a look just before the draft, it's a trade move that actually opened up really the spot for Sarah Veria. Uh, we think about Taylor Bresland, who has moved across to the West Coast Eagles, and that's opened up a spot perfectly in the back line there for Sarah. Yeah, funny enough, we actually have we've had too many defenders uh, on our list, um, and that sort of come about the year before when we were a bit weak in our back line. Um, so we drafted a few sort of uh, I wouldn't say probably speculative picks and players like Janelle Cuthbertson who'd come from tennis and Emro Driscoll had come from netball, but they've actually performed really well, and now they're going to be uh, you know, sort of playing every week. So our back line um, has been yeah, pretty strong, and Sarah, Sarah's a, a player who's played a lot of back line and a lot of uh, midfield. I think she'll end up being a very good midfield player, uh, but we've been training her in the forward line as well. She's a very versatile player. She's the first crop over here who's played from Auskick all the way through. Um, without having to stop um, or play against the boys. So she's just got natural footy smarts and skills that we'll see a lot more of come through. And, yeah, she can play across all three lines, which is obviously a great asset for our team. Yeah, a bit of contrast. Uh, Michaelia Morrison, who you picked up with your next pick um, through Swan Districts, um, she actually really only started in 2018 in the under-16s. Yeah, and no, she's an exciting prospect. She's related to... Uh, yeah, quite a few good AFL players, including uh, Des Headland from from Frio. Uh, yeah, a really exciting prospect. Um, she was training the house down, and she would have been uh, she would have been a perfect addition to our forward line, which has already got a bit of speed and flair, and she's got plenty of that. But unfortunately, a, um, a burst appendix has uh, seen her very ill. She's been in hospital for quite a while and uh, had a drain. Uh, there, so she's going to miss, uh, yeah, at least the first half of the season, um, which I'm disappointed with. But we see her as a long-term prospect, and hopefully she can get up for the back half of the season and play a bit of footy. But if not, then um, yeah, she'll be around uh, as a real excitement machine in our forward line for a long time to come. 
And then you finished off the draft with some experience and picking up a, a former Fremantle footballer in Tia Haynes. Uh, Tia had had her struggles over the years, particularly with injury. She'd burst onto the scene uh, pre-2014 as an under-18 star footballer. I think part of that uh, WA, WA side that beat Victoria for the first time in the under-18s. Uh, played some exhibition match football. As we, get, as we said, injury kind of robbed her of some of the best of her early 20s. Um, now we see her um, last year, particularly in WAFLW, really come on. And, and hopefully, I, I guess this time around, we will see the best of Tia Haynes. Yeah, it's just a credit to herself what she's done. Like three knee reconstructions and shoulder problems as well. We've been pretty easy to give it away. And as Tia said herself, that uh, she, she wants to make that decision, not have other people tell her. So she kept her head down and she wasn't totally focused on being drafted. Uh, she just wanted to play the best possible football she could to Subiaco and uh, she was well coached there by Amy Lavelle who uh, is our forward line coach here and the strength and conditioning coach and uh, Tammy Jacobson who's also on our staff here who got her not only over her injuries but stronger uh, so she sort of can put up with the demands of AFLW and uh, yeah, she's in great nick but really popular decision with our girls because she's just such a great team player uh, and, and good to have around the group and she's been going really well. I um, I didn't sort of peg her as an inside mid. I thought she'd be more of an outside player but uh, she's been training with our inside mids and going really well and we expect her to feature in round one. You managed to also sign a free agent through that period uh, from the West Coast Eagles, Tani Testa, who had four games under her belt in 2020. Yeah, we were really keen on uh, drafting Tani the previous year. Uh, she'd been in our academy, really clever, small forward who's worked really hard to get her opportunity at AFL uh, W level. Um, unfortunately, just the way that the draft worked, the West Coast got it just before we could. Um, and yeah, we were wrapped to get her across. Um, she's battled a few little niggles and she's probably going to be available for round one, but probably hasn't quite got the body of work in yet, but we expect her to feature during the season. And Yeah, just a very clever small forward who probably didn't get the opportunities uh, at West Coast with the ball coming in as much as hopefully we can, uh, can give her here, and we think that she can hit the scoreboard for us for sure. A bit of a, a swap around for you, and I'll explain the situation. Um, you originally got through the trade period, uh, Jess Trent from the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroo. She was going to come across to WA, and boy, was she going to be a fantastic addition if she could get out there on the park. However, due to personal reasons, she is sitting out this season. I, I guess she's probably spoken with you um, if, if she'll be uh, committing to 2022, but at least for 2021, uh, Maggie McLaughlin is taking her spot on the squad. Yeah, no, we're excited to have uh, Jess on board. She's like a great person, but yeah, just didn't work out. Uh, we'll see how things go over the uh, yeah probably the next few months to see if she can make it out here for 2022. But um, yeah, it's amazing how things were. I think it, it could be a win-win. We Taylor Breslin's obviously a, a good Dow defender who was struggling for opportunities with us and should play every week for West Coast. So. She went to West Coast with our blessing and hopefully she can be a valuable addition for them. And yeah, we've ended up with Maggie McLaughlin, who's a player I've been sort of following through the underage competitions for quite a while. And she really blossomed this year at Subiaco and, and played a, a big role in their grand final, even though they did lose. And she's someone who could play at either end of the ground. Uh, we see her definitely as more of a, a long-term prospect for us. Uh, but she's got yeah, really good intercept mark and great depth in her kicking. She'll be in our top three or four kicks at the club. So uh, we think she's going to have a good future for us. 
Now, unfortunately, uh, a couple of injuries that uh, are knee-related. Um, back in December, uh, Leah Maskell uh, was ruled out, injuring her left knee. And we've got Anya Tai, who missed 2020 with a knee injury. She came back to training in uh, December of last year, and uh, it's been revealed that she's done a uh, medial meniscal tear in her left knee. Now, according to uh, the word on the Fremantle website, she'll be out for an extended period. So is it a case of she's unlikely to participate in 2021? Fitness-wise, she might be okay, say, say, for example, by finals, but, of course, it's almost mission impossible to try and then, when you haven't played a game, to force your way into a star-studded side. Yeah, it's um, yeah, probably unlikely that she'll play this year. Um, it's so disappointing for Anya because she's she sacrificed so much to be a he now for two years, um, and she's an amazing character. And we don't think that she'll just be a competent AFLW player. We think she's got the potential to be a genuine star of the competition if we can get her right. Um, yeah, it looks unlikely this year. Um, that, like you said, she could be back. Just probably just after final time, if the fixtures run as planned. But you know, who knows what could happen with COVID? And if the season got pushed back a bit, then uh, she could be available at the back end. So just keeping that option open with her. But uh, yeah, her character um, is, is outstanding, and she's so good around the group. So it was really disappointing. But uh, yeah, we'll be hoping that we can uh, yeah convince her to come back in. Uh, in 2022 because uh, we think that she can be a a genuine star of the competition. Now, before we talk about your opponent, who we think will still be your opponent in two weeks' time, we'll go into a little bit of detail on that. Um, As we know, the COVID situation was fast evolving uh, for New South Wales. Its borders were closed to WA, Victoria, SA, Queensland. Um, Then WA uh, closed its borders to Victoria. There's a bit of a domino effect going uh, around. Um, has there already been much discussion amongst the the group and yourself saying, okay, if the situation evolves and we're told, at least for the WA sides, uh, you, yourselves and West Coast have to go to a hub about, okay, who can come to the hub and who, for family reasons, work reasons, etc., can't make the move? Yeah, we've had um, we've we haven't had individual discuss. We've had some individual discussions. We think the majority of our group will be able to. Um, and the, the, the family reasons we think we can get around in the hardest thing is the employers. These girls give up a lot and then their employers give up a lot, um, to let them play. So it's, yeah, that fine balance of keeping, uh, their employers happy. And we've been working hard with our, with the employers to make sure that we can get as many as possible, but we just have to, we really can't say exactly how many that will be until we know the, the full details of it. So um, at this stage, with a few borders being open, hopefully we can get uh, the season underway without hubs. Uh, but if it does, then, yeah, we're definitely prepared to. And that aspect of it will be actually a great experience if it does happen. So uh, we'll look forward to it and embrace it because it does, uh, but we'll be disappointed for the ones that can't participate with us if that does eventuate. Now, as we mentioned, uh, as the fixture as it stands, you were meant to play on a Sunday in WA hosting the GWS Giants. As we know, they were uh, evacuated, for, a, for want of a better term, out of Sydney down to, at its present moment, Albury until they're told where to move elsewhere. Everything's still uh, uh, moving pieces at the moment. Um, they were assigned to be respected anyway because they had made the finals last year. They were second in their conference before being knocked off by the Demons in that first week. Do you perhaps even fear them a little more 
knowing that because they're staying together in the hub, in a sense, by default, they're almost training and committing full-time to their football while you're actually still technically part-time. Absolutely. Um, You wouldn't say that they've... um, First of all, hats off to them for the sacrifices that they've made to go into a hub so long before the season started to make sure that things can go ahead. So full credit to the club, you know, the coaching staff, all the staff and the, and the girls for, for doing that for the competition. Um, but like, as you said, yeah, I'd love that opportunity to have um, you know, my players all together for that long in that last bit of pre-season period to, to get ready for the season. So they're still under the AFL guidelines where they're only allowed to train so long and only allowed to have so many meetings. But just the yeah, the, the camaraderie and the feel, you know, in particularly this pre-season time, uh, would be fantastic. And you can tell by the way they play that they're already a very tight-knit group, considering that they come from so many different places. Um, and we hadn't we haven't played them since I've been coaching, actually. So I hadn't done a lot. I've watched them, obviously, but I haven't done a lot of real close scouting of them, which I have done over the last two weeks. And the thing that I watch from them is they're yeah, very well structured and extremely hard to beat. Um, you can't just go out and expect them to have an off day because that's very rare. They really are hard to beat. So uh, yeah, we'll look forward to that challenge, hopefully, if it happens on January 31st. To continue to be at the same excellent standard that you were last year where you were going through that season unbeaten, what are the key performance indicators that you would like the side to hit? Yeah, we... <laughs> We've talked about all the way through since I've started that if you're as good as what you were last year, you're probably going to drop down the ladder about six six spots. The AFLW, I think, is the fastest improving competition in the world. So and it, it's because it come from a low base. Now, last year, you know, sort of four years ago, when they sort of really put a lot of, of amateur players, and amateur only because of their preparation, not because of their, their their diligence, but just their opportunities together. And now with the professional training and the desire of the girls, the standards lifting so much. So we've always talked about uh, a constant mindset of improvement. And so we want to keep doing that. We think uh, that our, our speed and fitness and fast ball movement is probably what we're, we're well known for. Um, yeah, and internally, we want to make sure that our pre- that we use those that speed and the fitness to apply heaps of pressure on our position. So we want to be a really hard side to play against. Uh, we did that last year, but we have to make sure we maintain that this year. And, and yeah, look, we were the number one tackling side last year, and would love to do that again this year. Well, Trent, thank you very much for joining us here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. We wish you and the Fremantle Dockers all the very best as season 2021 gets underway, fingers crossed, as planned in two weeks' time. No worries. Thanks for your time, Peter. Still to come, we'll be catching up with NTFL women's star footballer Amy Chittick of the Pint Queen Ants. But next, Canadian Northern Lights coach Tricia Rolfe. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. 
on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. You're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks very much for your company. Now to North America, and in the second half of 2020, Candice Kwan announced she was stepping down as the Canada Northern Lights head coach. Candice had taken over from Jason Arnold, who led the Northern Lights through the 2011, 2014 and 2017 International Cup campaigns. Candice was meant to lead the Northern Lights to IC 2020, and as we all know, that was uh, postponed due to COVID-19. There were hopes that the tournament would take place in 2021, but the AFL has confirmed it will take place at 2022 at the earliest, maybe even as late as 2023. Due to work commitments, Candice stepped down, and her role is now being filled by a former Canada Northern Lights player. She came out for the 2014 and 2017 International Cups. She is now the new head coach of the Canada Northern Lights. It's great to have on the line Trisha Rolfe. Trisha, how are you? I'm great. Thank you, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. Uh, great to have you on the line. And uh, how are those Alberta winters at the moment? <laughs> well, actually, right now, it's uh, it's pretty good. We've um, been able to go out not dressed in full snow gear. So that's always a plus. Um, yeah, right now, it's actually really nice and quite sunny. Just to explain to people, because obviously, you know, we don't have to worry about this phenomenon in Australia. If it actually snows at all uh, anywhere where they play football, it's seen as a rarity. But can you just talk about just quickly for a lot of the Canadian clubs, what they have to deal with during the quote unquote off season and the snow and obviously waiting for the weather to be some type of reasonable temperature that you can be actually outside training as opposed to indoors? Yeah, so um, obviously our our season is weather dependent. And so we really have to wait until when the snow could clear. And so that, that really changes across all of Canada. Uh, just, we're just so broad. So some places like Vancouver, for instance, um, can get training a little bit earlier than um, places on the Eastern side of Canada. So um we have to really be adjusting our game all the time for our trainings. And when we have the opportunity, obviously we get outside, but if we can't get outside, then we start doing our trainings indoors. And so we have to adjust a little bit, but you know, um, just like the game of football, we learn to adapt. Now, before we talk about present day and applying for and successfully being appointed as the Northern Lights head coach, let's talk about your football journey because this is, like I guess, the 10th anniversary for you. It actually goes back to 2011. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it is when I started. Talk about how you came across yeah. the Calgary Kookaburras. Well, you know, I it started because I happened to be in a pub and I met an Aussie gentleman. And this um, gentleman invited me out to a um, a party that they were having. And I ran into a couple other girls who I used to play rugby with. And they invited me out to come and play Aussie rules. And um, very fortunately, that gentleman that I met is now my husband. And um, so he was coaching the Calgary Kangaroos at the time. So he is an Australian. And we... Uh, I never really looked back. I, I went out, was introduced to the sport. I thought it was pure chaos and I fell in love with it. So I continued on to my journey and then it has led me to this today. Could that technically be the first ever case of someone possibly using the line of, hey, do you want to play Aussie rules as a pickup line? 
Although, you know, I didn't know it was possible, but um, yeah, it turns out that might be a, a go-to pickup line. <laughs> <laughs> now, where to take you uh, for, for, for family um, uh, 10 years later, uh, and we say family as, of course, being with your husband, a couple of kids, and your footy family as well, as you're entwined with the uh, Calgary Kookaburras. Now, as we speaking of you being head coach, you actually have had the honour as a player of pulling on uh, the Northern Lights jumper a few times. I have, um, and it's been an absolutely unbelievable experience. Um, and I've had the opportunity to play in two ICs, which was IC14 and IC17 um, under Jason Arnold, and it was fantastic. Can you talk about that 2014 campaign, which no doubt you'll be hoping to, to copy the success of uh, when you finally do have an international cup to play in again? The one where for the it seemed like Ireland were always going to have a stranglehold on the women's division, knocking off the Irish at Punt Road Oval to be world champions. Yeah, that is a memory that will be forever engraved. <laughs> for me um it was just uh it was an absolute surreal experience to uh take a sport that we is is obviously not native for up here and is is fairly new um and to go down into australia and give it our all was it was so rewarding and jason really prepped us for what we could expect and the expectations that we'd have down there and all that hard work really um, obviously paid off and just the experience of winning was was unbelievable but even playing on punt road there um the memories that we had uh it, it instantly bonds you with all your players across all of canada and that and it creates that family as you even mentioned can you talk about uh, building up for that campaign? Because we want to talk about, obviously, uh, when we'll, we'll say fundraising in a moment's time, but training and trying to build the team together when they're uh, spread across the vast country that is Canada. Uh, and we're talking about a time when, in 2014... AFL Women's, the semi-professional league, isn't on the scene yet. In fact, there's only ever been two exhibition matches at that stage about the commitment to train and then the commitment to fundraise to chase this crazy idea of coming over to Australia to play in an international cup. Yeah, it was pretty forlorn. And you're busy trying to explain to people, you know, this sport that you play and that you're going down to Australia. Um you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know really what to say with it. We were busy, you know, teaching people about our sport and then um, just having to listen to all the experts that were around us to explain to us, listen, this is what you need to be doing um, in order to play at the level of the national side. And even at the co- at our club levels, you know, we were, we were learning to build up um, the experience in the Aussie in Aussie football so that we'd be able to to at least have a, a fighting chance down there. We, we live in a world now where Zoom meetings are natural, and even for professional sports, as we've seen with such as the NFL in America, when they have COVID-19 cases, they can't attend their practice facilities, so everyone's at home with a Zoom meeting, and it all seems natural. It didn't seem quite natural uh, when we go back about 10 years ago. And leading into that 2014 campaign, how often were you able to get together as a side? Again, considering how s- uh, spread apart you were, and, and, and of course, this is going to be a challenge that you face 2021, 2022 going forward 
forward about trying to train and get uh, everyone on the same page when it comes to skills and game plan when we're all so far apart? Uh, so you're really jogging my memory here for 2014. I believe that we only got, we were only able to get together once um, across the country. And then we were able, you know, when we got down to Australia, we were, that is, that's when we really started to have to, you know, quickly connect and quickly understand what the skills were of the players that we were suddenly going to be, you know, putting our bodies on the line for on, on the football field. So it was only once that we all got together before we got to Australia. So we have to, we have to do quite a bit of bonding in other ways um, because we have so many clubs that are across Canada and it's very spread out for where people are coming from in order to be selected. And how is it trying to to, I guess, balance out that skill level? Because I I talk about it, and at that time you have, in Toronto, you have the AFL Ontario competition, so you've got at least four or five women's sides that are playing regular football. You've got in Montreal Mm -hmm. a three-team competition, so they're playing regular football. Vancouver with BC, now they're known as the Burnaby Eagles, but back then they were known as the Vancouver Vixens. They didn't have Seattle to play against then. In Calgary, you know, you were probably struggling to get uh, opposition to play a game against. Uh, Edmonton was the closest side nearby. How do you balance trying to pick players on the East Coast and West Coast, knowing that the West Coast, apparently the East Coast, for example, is playing more football than what the West Coast was back then? Well, yeah, you know, like this is where we depend on um, the coaches and the leagues to really be pushing themselves and keeping themselves as competitive as possible. It doesn't matter, you know, how many different teams you get to play against. You have to give it your all and you have to constantly be learning and growing the sport um, and your skills in general. Uh, When you have opportunity to play um, in tournaments and that across Canada, that is where we see the biggest turnouts. So we have lots of girls that will be, you know, flying across everywhere in order to play in a tournament and get those three or four games in and seeing, you know, the different styles of play all across Canada. Let's compare 2014 to 2017 for a moment for the two campaigns that you've played against. It's the last I see we can really compare against. Um, That was uh, just after the AFLW had uh, debuted. How much... A difference did you notice in the professionalism of preparing for that tournament compared to 2014 and obviously the standard that you were playing against in that competition? Well, the standard jumped up, uh, you know, significantly. We could see that instantly in our first game against Fiji. Um, the, the preparation was different because in 2014, there were so many players that had never been down to IC before that it was so new and we didn't know what to expect. Um, but as the sport has grown and it's become more popular and we're seeing um, AFL women coming on uh, to the scene in that we started to see the girls were a little bit more prepared about what to expect. So it wasn't as, I guess, shocking on the system. Uh, and so that's mentally we were able to prepare a little bit more um, for when we get down there. And then you never know with uh, the teams that you're going to play against and in what pool. Um, and we saw some wonder, like some excellent sides that were there. And the competition was excellent in 2017 as well as 2014. 
for sure. But it, you could see that clubs were getting stronger and the skills were getting better all across the world, really. So after that campaign, about a year or so later, Jason Arnold stepped down as head coach and Candace Kwan took over and was preparing the side for 2020. And then, if I recall, it was about March of 2020 when the pin was pulled on International Cup 2021, which was meant to happen four months later in July due to COVID-19. From your Mm -hmm. internal chats, because you're also a women's player advocate on the AFL Canada board, what was the mood like at the time? I know everyone's about the world going crazy and everyone in the lockdown because of COVID-19, but this once in every three years tournament, everyone's done the fundraising, everyone's up and about, it's almost here, and then the whole damn world gets turned on its head. Yeah, I think it was, well, it was very, it was very shocking and disappointing um, in a world where footy is often an outlet uh, for a lot of people to be playing um, when, when the world locked down and the International Cup wasn't able to be held. That was very devastating for players who had been working very hard and fundraising in order to get over there. Um, but, you know, we are resilient and um, it's something that we can look at COVID as a negative thing or we can turn it around and look at it as a positive. And that's what we're doing over here. I guess the unluckiest person out of all of that is Candice Kwan. Uh, she had to give up the head coach's role due to work reasons. Uh, a lot of times uh, put in and never actually got to see her game plan once get put into place. Absolutely. That would have been so devastating for Candice. She is an absolutely wonderful person, an excellent player. And it's really unfortunate that she did not get to see all of her hard work um, put into fruition there. So the role is advertised for a head coach from the Canada Northern Lights. When did it pop into your head and the reasoning in your own mind of, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to commit to doing this. It's logistically a very difficult job, as we talked about earlier, about everyone spread across the country. But I'm going to be the next to step up to the plate and get ready to take Canada back to the International Cup. Yeah, um, it was not on my radar for a bit. And um, I was talking to some players in that. And the idea came into their heads and you know a couple of them asked if I'd be interested and so I decided to do a little bit of research and um, consult with some people just to see you know like is this something that I could handle and uh, the support that I had was overwhelming and it was amazing and I spoke with players across all of Canada uh, before even deciding to throw my hat in the ring and um And then once I made up my mind, I said, okay, I'm going to go for it. And I drew up a plan and, you know, explained what uh, I'd like to do with my vision and threw it out there to AFL Canada. And I was extremely honoured that uh, they chose me. Can you take us through that process? Um, Who from the board interviewed you and, and what were they trying to probe you for? What information did they want to know before eventually deciding on you as the successful candidate? So I was interviewed by the um, the development manager for AFL Canada, uh, a director on the AFL Canada board who is a female, and then um, 
the AFL Canada also has a, a coaching mentorship role, and it was by that individual as well. So um, they, you know what, they asked basically uh, about my vision, why I decided to, you know, step up, how, what sort of things I wanted to implement. Um, and, and that was about it. They knew my because I'd been involved in football for so long um, and I was the women's rep for a while, they knew who I was and they knew my footy experience. So they already, they didn't bother to ask me that. I should ask as well as a supplementary question, will you be keeping the same assistant coaches or will there be also a a change to that structure? So there is going to be a change on that. Um, I don't know all the magnificent people across Canada just yet um, who might be interested in coaching in that. And um, I didn't want to go in and restrict myself at this moment, especially we don't know when the next International Cup is going to be. So there's not a rush on that decision. And I didn't want my decision to be short-sighted. So I want to still meet some of the fantastic people that are out there and want to help grow women's footy in Canada. We should uh, ask at the moment, where is sport at, at least community level sport, in Canada? We know, and we spoke, of course, with Lindsay uh, last year about how Calgary managed to get a, uh, I guess you call it a summer season, up and running. Um, where are we at with Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, uh, over in Ontario and uh, in Quebec? Uh with the COVID rules when it comes to community sport and if they're able to play or if it's still non-contact, et cetera? Yeah, so it really depends on the province and the restrictions that have been put in. There were two cities that did run um, games last season, which was Calgary and Montreal. Um, The other teams, some of them ran like a flag football um, and then some of them didn't run anything. And, you know, with COVID, we don't know what to expect even this year. So we're going to make, we're a little bit more prepared now for the unexpected. So we'll um, be able to make some changes to that now. But again, it's all, it's all dependent on uh, government regulations and that. It's a difficult challenge, isn't it? Because at the moment, I guess you're trying to plan for possibly IC 2022, no one knows at this stage um, if it will go ahead or not. There's speculation that it may get pushed back to 2023, not just because of vaccines and travel restrictions, etc., but to line up with what would have been the original IC cycle. So how do you plan going yeah. ahead? Because normally, let's say IC 2023 was on the cards, and let's say we'd already played IC 2020 and we were in a COVID-free world. As a coach, you'd be saying, OK, this is when I have my training dates. These are opponents that I'm going to line up, maybe against the US in 2022 or like was done in the past when uh, the Midnight Suns did a tour of uh, the UK. That isn't there at the moment because we don't know when IC will be and obviously restrictions keep changing. So how do you plan as a coach going ahead, not knowing exactly what you're planning for? (laughs) 
it is definitely a difficult time to try and maneuver in. Um, but I think, you know what, you focus in on what you can do and not on what you can't do. So there's a lot of things that we can be doing, even though we're restricted. Um, we can be working on skills and fitness and bonding. There's a lot of stuff that it, that goes on before even getting to the, the field. Um, and we can start doing that now. Um, you know, when there's an opportunity to play, we need to jump at that chance and we need to be prepared at that. And when there's the opportunity for borders to open everywhere, um, you know, I, I'm hoping that the the footy teams will be one of the first to, to jump on that chance and let's get back out there and play. You do have a fortunate scenario where you've actually got a couple of Canadians in Australia and that looks like they will be playing. I've seen on social media, Nicole Robertson is down in Melbourne and, of course, uh, being based in Melbourne for a number of years now and coming back from an ACL injury, Valerie Moreau. Yes, we have some great Canadians that are down there. They're, I guess if you could say fortunate that they are... Um that they're stuck in Australia, but uh, they, uh, they've been having a really good time down there and obviously they can get all the training. Australia has done an amazing job in the handling of their COVID situation. And as a result, you know, you guys are able to continue on um, in life as normal as it can be right now in the world. So we had what was going to be an IC. 2020 squad and of course as we said earlier IC 2020 got cancelled in March didn't happen IC 21 will not happen so how do you see the squad at the moment do you do you see is it fully retained with one or two changes or is the case of telling everyone okay because we don't know when IC 2022 or 23 will happen the whole squad is in a sense scrapped or, or it's a blank piece of paper and everything starts again from scratch I think that every time you go uh, before an IC, you get, uh, everybody tries out um, again, and we see where everybody's skills are at in general. Um, I've seen some girls who have reached out that are going to be returning, um, or plan to, depending on when the next IC is, um, which, and they weren't on the roster this time around, and, and that's great that they have decided to come back. Um, so it, it just really depends. The girls in that were named, they are so positive and pumped to continue to do their training um, and to make those dreams come true from when they had started um, and got named. So I'm sure the competition is going to be fantastic because they're going to keep training and they're going to have those extra years before we get down there. As a small little aside, um, did any of the clubs report any extra recruiting or picking up of players courtesy of uh, the AFL being played on TSN um, during the, the months where we had no North American sport? I don't know if they got named that we got new recruits as a result of TSN. I know that the sport um, got definitely more exposure and more hype, which was fantastic over here. Um, of course, I would love to see the women's football also on TSN. That would be amazing. Um, but there were some players uh, or clubs that did gain some um, new recruits as a result of COVID. And that could have been because there was some exposure there. So people did look up, you know, Aussie rules in Canada. We always find it interesting because they, 
when we asked players why they came, they said, you know, I just, I saw this sport and I looked it up and I was surprised that you guys play up here. So I wanted to check it out, which is great. (laughs) We'll take it. Absolutely. Now, let's talk about recruiting because as you said that you you might bring in some new names for the the new squad uh, for either international cup 2022 2023 or if you have international friendlies mixed in there at some stage uh we're very fortunate naturally here in australia where um, just about nearly every game at senior level at grassroots has a video camera there and the game is being filmed and if you want to you can watch back vision you don't quite have that luxury there in canada so can you talk about uh, i guess the scouting that you have and i guess for you being fortunate being the players representative the contacts that you have throughout canada to know who's new who's on the scene or who's hit form Yeah, so because I've been around for so long, I did get the opportunity to meet so many players across Canada, and I've seen some phenomenal players just developing over the years um, in their exciting journey um, through football. So that has been wonderful. Uh, Obviously, we're geographically very spread out, so I can't be in every city. I have um, very good contacts in the cities all across Canada who are going to be helping develop the players and, um, and videoing them and sending them over to me so that when I get the opportunity to see them in person, I'll have actually already seen them on video um, quite a few times so I can see their, pr- their progress over a period of time. Can you kind of describe the brand of football you imagine the Canada Northern Lights playing. There's there's various ways, like here, for example, in Australia, we, we call the Victorian brand of football. It's it's in tight, contested football. Uh, you have the WA or Queensland game, which is very open and spread running. If I compare it on the international scene, I say it's probably the style of football the Irish Banshees play because of their Gaelic background. What is that brand of football that you want Canada to be associated with? That is going to be dependent on the types of players that are, are ready to play at the national level. Um, we do, I do know the expectations for the amount of fitness and skill levels that need to be there. And our style of play has always been quite adaptable according to our competition. Um, and so if our competition comes with a little bit of a rugby background, we're often prepared with that, with the types of players that play up here. And as well, we've been able to also adjust to the Gaelic style um, when we're there. So I don't know if I would restrict myself by saying that we're just going to play the one type of style when we're down there. And finally, before we let you go, obviously we we had an idea of who the opponents were going to be if we did have that 2020 IC. We talk about Fiji, Papua New Guinea, Germany was going to come down, Great Britain, New Zealand were going to enter a side. But there's two teams that stick out there, and I want to know which is the team that you actually want to beat most. Is it the Irish Banshees, who you've met with in uh, three IC finals, or is it your neighbours, the USA? Which is the team that you want to beat more? <laughs> um, oh, that's always so tough. Uh, you know what? The, I, the US have, um, have come there. They improved so much between 2014 and 2017. That was just so noticeable. They are always excellent competition. Um, there's always a little bit of emotion in that game 
whenever we play. So it does make it quite exciting. Um, but as long as Ireland sits there on top, that's the one that we want to take out. Well, Trisha, thank you very much for joining us here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best in your new role as head coach of the Canada Northern Lights. And we hope, fingers crossed, that COVID-19 goes away quickly, not only for everyone's health's sake, but that we can start to see an IC plan for some year and some international friendlies finally happening again. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. Coming up next, we're going to head to Darwin to check in with the Northern Territory Football League women's competition. Round 13 was played over the weekend. And we're going to be chatting with a superstar of NTFL women's football, Amy Chittick. That's on the other side of this break. Been playing for a while. Sweet kicks. Because footy makes you smile. Sweet kicks football. If you're getting ready for the trials, gotta go the extra mile. Sweet kicks football. Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. On your favourite podcast platform and via RSN Carnival Digital Radio in Melbourne, this is the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Round 13 of the Northern Territory Football League Women's Competition was played over the weekend and Pint remains at the top of the table. The Queen Ants are undefeated. And one reason for that is the stellar season that's being had by Amy Chittick. Yes, the name is familiar. She represented Melbourne in the AFLW exhibition matches. For a long time, she was at the Waratah Football Club, won a number of premierships there, but she looked this year for a change of scene. And boy, she brought success to the Queen Ants. It's great to have on the line again, Amy Chittick. Amy, how are you? Good, thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. It's been a while since we've had you back on the line, and uh, for the first time, we speak to you wearing new colours. Of course, you're a legend at Waratah, but now you find yourself playing at Pint. Yeah, I um, I made the move over from Waratah um, just before the season started. Spent um, spent eight years at Waratah and loved every minute there. It was yeah, some of my best memories I've had, um, best friends I've made there, but. I just felt I needed a, a fresh start, um, a new environment, and to be honest, I feel like the change has been the best thing for me. I feel like I'm playing the best footy I ever have been, and I'm yeah, really loving it, feeling really positive about everything. So I'm yeah, really happy at Pints. We should mention it's really been a changing of the guard, hasn't it, in the last year or two in the NTFL women's competition? Because we're used to being seeing Waratah at the top of the table. The side that would probably challenge them would be the uh, Darwin Buffets. But we had last year Southern District's Crocs win the Premiership. We've seen Nightcliff climb from the bottom half of the table into playing finals football. We even see St Mary's pushing you at the moment as we speak. Yeah, it's actually been a, a big step up this season. Um, obviously, the NTFL in the women's comp has come in leaps and bounds in the last few year, years, so it's quite good. We've got a Division 2 competition now, 
So just about every women's team now has a Division 2 competition, um, a team in the competition in the Div 2. So it's really good for the growth up here and getting more girls involved. And, yeah, like you said, it's becoming each year's a lot harder now and teams are getting more competitive, taking it more seriously. Like we've got, we've now got girls that fly up um, similar to what the men do. They fly up for games and it's certainly stepped up that level in the last few seasons, I would say. Can we talk about that, the influx of Victorians, at least for the first half of this 2020 uh, NTFL women's season? Because as we know, uh, Victorian women's football from the VFLW all the way through to grassroots was completely wiped out in 2020 due to COVID-19. A number got on the plane, fled the state, went up north to Darwin and have had some big influences in all sides. Yeah, definitely. Like us, for instance, we had, um, we've had about three or four girls come up from Victoria, which is, um, yeah, great for us. We've had Rennie Hicks, who was actually listed on Carlton's AFLW list. She played a few games with them. She's, um, yeah, committed to us for the season, which is awesome. We've also had Jacinta Reed, uh, Rudy. So she was Williamstown's um, captain, co-captain. So she's been really good for us in defence. Um, we've also had Sarah Ingram and Laura Wright. They're two um, 19-year-olds who hoping to get a shot in the VFLW and then hopefully AFLW contract. So they've been awesome additions for us. Um, yeah, we've been pretty lucky with the girls we've got. And I know there's a few other clubs like uh, St. Mary's that have also had had some girls come up from Vic and Waratah. So I think just about every women's club now has benefited from what was a pretty pretty poor situation in Melbourne with the uh, COVID-19 situation. But it's obviously, yeah, it's, it's good that there's been at least some positive for these girls that have been able to come up, get some fitness in, get a bit of a pre-season before going back to their season and hopefully some sort of normal. Let's talk about your season to date. Of course, we know you've been a league-leading goal kicker. We also know that uh, you've won uh, various premierships and you've played exhibition match football with Melbourne. But flying along at the moment, 15 goals to your name and you've been named in the best 7 out of 12 matches. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with um, how I'm going at the moment. Obviously, when you come over from another club, you know, you always want to make a good impression and earn everyone's respect. So I think that's really motivated me a lot this season. And also the fresh change, as I touched on before, just helps so much, you know, like you just want to put your best foot forward. And for me, I think it's, it's sort of like, um, it's just like day one again, I would say, you know, you've got new motivations, new goals, you've got different girls to motivate you. So for me, I actually think I'm, I'm in the best headspace I've been. I'm, playing the best footy I have, um, as fit as I've been. And, yeah, I'm, I'm just feeling really good about this season and I'm loving it. I don't have any regrets. I loved my time at Waratahs and Waratahs is, yeah, always going to be special to me and I'll, I'll always have a lot of love and respect for them. But I just, yeah, at that point in my life, I just needed, needed a change and, yeah, I'm just really happy with how it's going. You're spreading the goal-kicking load this year as well. It's not all on your shoulders. Uh, just one goal behind you, in fact. Uh, both Jasmine Hewitt, who is the Gold Coast-listed uh, footballer, and Casey Morris uh, both kick 14 each. Yeah, uh, Jazz Hewitt, obviously, is she's elite. You know, most people up here, you say Jazz Hewitt, and they sort of go, oh, yeah, Jazz, you know, like, they know her for her football ability and just her passion for the game. So... She's been incredible. She sort of plays as a ruck but can also go forward. So obviously she's quite she's quite tall, so she's pretty versatile. So we sort of use her, yeah, wherever we need her. And Casey Morris as well. I've only met Casey this year. Um, and, yeah, as soon as I met her, I just loved her. Just such a genuine, 
good person and yeah, I saw her play footy and she can play, that's for sure. She's a good lead up forward, can also get down low, good at ground level and she's I think she's gonna be very important as we come in towards the last half of the season as finals football. Can you talk about the influence of Cassie Henderson, who's been named in the best half the matches that she's played? She's played 12 so far. Yeah, Hendo obviously is a bit of a veteran up here. She's recently played a 150th NTFL league game, which is a huge achievement for anyone. And she just she just loves it. She's a workhorse in the middle. She'll put her body on the line without even thinking about it. And tremendous leader, obviously. Her and Katie Stretter were pretty lucky to have two pretty good girls like that that just are so passionate for this team and they just they just want to win so bad and that's also motivating for us because they've given so much to pints and to women's football um, we sort of you know that bit more motivated to give them give them the reward that they deserve that they've worked so hard for for so long Yes, Katie Streeter, of course, uh, formerly with the NT Thunder. And that does beg the question, what is the football year now like for the women playing up there in the Northern Territory? Of course, we know they play during the summer, during the uh, wet season, but uh, they used to obviously play for the NT Thunder in the couple of seasons they played in the VFLW. So what's the situation like now when it comes to winter football for the women up in the top end? Yeah, it's certainly a bit different to what it was the last few years. Um, so obviously, yeah, the Thunder program ended quite suddenly, which was, yeah, pretty disappointing, but that's the way it is. So I think now most of the girls just try and keep themselves fit by playing another sport, netball or going to the gym. Some of them, depending on their, you know, work situation and life circumstances, they might even move down to, say, Victoria or South Australia. Um, play a season there or play a few games there. I also know that the um, the Alice Springs League, the league, the Castle there, they also get a fair few girls um, as it's their season when it's our off season. So it's good that they still benefit and it gives uh, the NT or the Darwin based girls sort of an opportunity to still play all year round, albeit if they have to fly or drive to Alice Springs. So yeah, the girls obviously still try and try and keep us involved in footy as they can. But yeah, obviously we miss the Thunder program, but there's always going to be something you just got to look for it. Of course, the one unique thing as well, besides just playing through the summer for the NTFL women's competition, is essentially the competition shutdown for a few weeks over the Christmas New Year's period. Uh, you play, obviously, 12 rounds, so two-thirds of the season. You have the shutdown, then you come back for the final third before hitting the finals. Can you talk about how um, the coaching staff have handled that when, obviously, you have the break? everyone's going to enjoy a bit of food come Christmas time and then try and ramp up the strength and conditioning load again and get you back to, quote-unquote, match fitness ready for, which, of course, back on January 9th, you restarted the season. Yeah, obviously, I think that's what makes us uh, football in the NT so unique. Um, Aside from the conditions we play in is the fact that we have a two-week break right in the middle of it. So just another factor to add to it, but... All the girls are pretty self-motivated and obviously everyone's pretty determined to win and taking it quite seriously. So a lot of the girls still do their extra fitness, where whether it's go for a swim, a bike ride, or a few of the girls got together. I know um, Jazz Stewart also runs some extra fitness sessions. So a few of the girls head down to that and it's just good to keep that load through our legs. And obviously over Christmas, it's easy to just slack off, do nothing, but everyone's pretty self-motivated and committed. So Everyone kept up kept up the work, and yeah, we returned back to training, and it's pretty good effort from everyone, so pretty happy with it.
And a pretty impressive performance against uh, the Nightcliff Tigers. As we said, they made finals last year. And uh, you essentially kept them goalless until the final quarter. Uh, the result in that game, 11-7-73 to 2-6-18. You led by 20 points at quarter time, by 38 at half time, by 55 at three-quarter time before eventually uh, running out that 73-18 to 18, uh, victors. Impressive game for Hilary Grubb, uh, named the best player on ground. Yeah, obviously the scoreboard um, definitely didn't reflect what the game was like. Nightcliff a very disciplined side. I know Shannon Miller is actually one of my good friends. She's um, a very solid coach and they play a good brand of footy and they always attack the football. So even though the score was a bit drawn out, it definitely didn't feel like that. Um, obviously they've got Eliza Morrison, who's just a workhorse in the midfield. Um, they're actually missing Michaela Ward, who obviously is a key forward, um, plays quite well up the ground as well so they definitely weren't at full strength but it certainly didn't feel like uh the 73 to 18 scoreline so it's it's yeah it's, it's good to have those challenging games still because there's no such thing as an easy game anymore in this league I think especially as you come closer to the finals all the teams lift and Nightcliff are no different they're very disciplined and they're very fit side as well so every time we play them we know we're in for a solid game. And speaking of Michaela Ward, of course, she is the Western Bulldogs VFLW captain and uh, according to her social media, has just landed in Darwin. So should be back uh, to play for round 14. Looking ahead for you uh, for the remainder of uh, your games heading into uh, finals. Uh, first of all, you've got the uh, Wanderers coming up uh, this Saturday at your home ground, DXC Arena. Yeah, so we've got our Wanderers this week and then we've actually got our, um, our football club ball afterwards. So that should be a good night. But next few weeks are going to be pretty important for us. Um, we've got St. Mary's in the last week before finals, actually. So St. Mary's was a, probably our toughest game of the season. Um, we only got over the line by, I think it was two points. So obviously coming up to finals, every point's going to matter and everyone's going to have a point to prove. So Definitely got a, got a difficult run going forward, but we're really excited, looking forward to it, and all the girls are ready to commit and knuckle down. Dare I say, even a little tricky there for the coaching staff over those last two weeks. If, if you're in a situation where there's no buys and you're playing against a side that you're top, they're second, you're going to meet each other in the next week of the finals, and, and you know that the results won't change who is where. You can almost play a little bit of ducks and drakes in that final game, and players out of position or key players rested because it, it's a dead rubber game. But for yourself, you actually have the bye before that game in round 17. So in a way, you can't really, I guess, rest yourself on the better players because you do need that run before the finals. Yeah, definitely. And I think at the end of the day, um, you know, a lot a lot of the girls would want to play as, as much as they can. And obviously, yeah, you, you can take the easy way and rest players. But at the end of the day, we're, we're here to win. And, you know, the more girls that get time out on that field, the better. So I think, yeah, obviously coaching staff will make their decisions. But I know, obviously, our... Our um, principals and team morals, I think we're all pretty committed to just treat it as if it's any other game of footy and not really let external factors or timing affect it too much because at the end of the day, our goal's still the same and we can't really change too much, especially as it's so, so close. And before we let you go, just one comment on the nickname for Pint. And I think it's probably one of the most unique names nicknames going around in women's footy and I'm saying that after uh, I follow the San Francisco Iron Maidens 
the Penn Football Club women's team is nicknamed the Majestic Queen Ants. <laughs> yeah, so um, obviously the, the men's team are the Green Ants. Um, so I'm not sure if you've got many local listeners, but uh, anyone that's from Darwin will know the uh, notoriously annoying Green Ants up here. Um, they're, they're found in just about every tree. So, um, yeah, so obviously we've adopted the name the Queen Ants and it's, I think it just flows. I think they, um, as soon as they became a team, that's sort of what they decided on. And, yeah, it's pretty unique to football, I think. Um, yeah, I've never heard of another footy team called called the Queen Ants. So it's, it's good. It gives us a few good good nicknames and a bit of banter at training. So we'll go with it. Well, Amy, thanks very much for joining us here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's Digital Radio Channel Carnival here in Melbourne. We wish you all the very best this Saturday as you take on Wanderers. Hopefully not too much of a hangover after the ball on Sunday morning. And uh, best <laughs> of luck in the finals campaign coming up late Feb, early March. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for having me. And let's take a look back at what was round 13 action of the NTFL Women's Premier League. Darwin Parfetts, 22-19-151, thrash Tracy Village, no score. Nycliffe, 2-6-18, went down to Pent, 11-7-73. Palmerston Magpies, 3-1-19, were defeated by St Mary's, 9-6-60. And the Wanderers, 4-2-26, went down to the Southern District's Crocs, 6-7-43, Waratah with the buyers. We look ahead to round 14 action in Darwin. It's Pent versus Wanderers, 2 p.m. this Saturday at DXC Arena. 4 p.m. Saturday at Tracy Village. The Razorbacks are playing host to the Palmerston Magpies. 6 p.m. at TIO Oval 2 on Saturday night. Waratah versus the Darwin Barfets. And the line game on the Sunday at Darwin Mazda, Nightcliff Oval, 2.30 p.m. It is Nightcliff versus St. Mary's. Southern District's Crocs with the bye. And that just about concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's Digital Radio Channel Carnival for yet another week. Before I go, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. We've got some new segments starting on the show next week. One of them, which I'll reveal now, is Coach versus Coach. Now, you may remember last year we had Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. Lisa Kiwi-Roper would take a look back at the previous round's games and then give her crystal ball predictions of what would happen in the following AFLW round. Well, this time, she's got someone to challenge her. Coolangatta Tweed head coach Nicole Grays will go mono on mono with Lisa Kiwi-Roper in a tipping competition to see... Who is the supreme coach when it comes to the crystal ball of AFLW? Coach versus Coach, a new segment starting next week on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, along with one or two others. Keep your ear out for that. You'll hear it first Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time right here on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne. Also via rsn.net. .au and the RSN Racing and Sport app, or you'll hear it later on podcast by WARFradio.com, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Deezer, and the iHeartRadio website and app. Don't forget you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just at the end of the address, put slash WARFradio. I'm Peter Holden. Until next week, thanks so much for your company, and it's bye for now.